Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, I'm kind of continuing, I guess, because it's a new year and, and there's been so much growth in our sector and so forth. Um, it's important for me to sometimes go back to, with all the new people getting into this, which is amazing, it's important for me to go back to some some, some of the basics. And also, um, with a lot more eyes on the idea of botanical-style aquariums, not just on tannin aquatics, of course, it's nice for us to have little conversation starters. I've been putting out a little more information that I hope gives you, the listener or the reader, depending on how you're consuming this stuff, um, a basis to start conversations with aquarists that maybe are thinking of getting into a botanical-style aquarium, but they're a little confused by all of the you know conflicting information and, and misinformation that's out there right now. I mean, it's 2020, and, and, and so much has changed in, in our little part of the aquarium world, and a lot of it still remains the same. I mean, despite all of the specialization, the research, and the accumulated experience that we've you know, had in this sector of the hobby, which is shared like daily, even hourly by you guys in our community, we still seem to be pretty impacted by this like pervasive hobby culture of you know, just embracing popular perception almost without questioning or doing any independent research. It's bizarre the number of emails or DMs I'll get on Instagram and Facebook and so forth from somebody saying, I'm thinking of start starting a Blackwater Aquarium. Um, you know, what what what, uh, what do I need to do? Like, people aren't even researching the most basic stuff, which is out there. Other times I'll, I'll have people say, you know, I, I've added, uh, you know, four catapa leaves to my aquarium and uh, my fish are getting sick still. Uh, they're still getting fungus or the water's not tinted or you get all these bizarre questions because people aren't doing the research. So hopefully today is going to act as a little conversation primer for you um, to, to maybe get people thinking along the lines of, of questioning some of the, the misinformation that's out there and encouraging them to dig into the realities. You know, when we first dove into this world, you know, you know, as far as a tannin, which is now almost five years ago, we were just aghast at the amount of misinformation and unsubstantiated speculative stuff that's out there in hobby literature and online. It was, you know, filled with rampant assumptions and passing on of all these ideas without personal experience. Some of these things were simply wrong. Others had some validity to them, but were overgeneralized in nature. It was actually almost humorous, except for the fact that it might have discouraged a lot of people from even attempting to keep this type of aquarium. And that made it kind of sad. It also demonstrated the power and the danger of that process of regurgitation, which I've talked about many times before, you know, offering up information without any personal knowledge of the of the, the subject. And that really doesn't help anybody. And it's only been through the sharing of continuous, methodical, even skeptical, you know, work that these types of aquariums have started to break through. And, you know, thank God our community is starting to push back with actual personal experience against some of those less helpful and more pervasive myths that are out there and they're so prevalent. Um, my hope is that this, you know, little brief podcast again today gives you a little discussion starter. Hope it gives you and your friends out there that might want to get into this a little clarity. Um, let's look at some of the most pervasive and long-running kind of myths that, in my opinion, have contributed to much of the hesitancy that so many hobbyists have had about creating and maintaining one of these botanical-style aquariums for themselves. The first one is the, uh, the old myth that black water is essentially dirty water. Man, if I had a dollar for every time I heard this, I wouldn't be selling dried you know, leaves and seed pods for a living. In the culture of aquarium keeping, there seems to be this perception that water with a color to it somehow is a sign of a dirty, poorly maintained aquarium. And there's a certain stigma that we've attached to water quality that isn't white and you know, 
just to water in general that isn't white and blue white and crystal clear. Now, the reality is, as we've talked about ad nauseum here, is that many of the aquatic habitats from which a lot of our fishes come from are anything but crystal clear. And as we know, uh, the factors that influence the water quality and color like soil and presence of terrestrial materials like seed pods, leaves, etc., play a huge role in not only the appearance, but the chemical composition of the water. It's really no different in the aquarium. Tannins from wood and botanical materials will leach in the water. They provide that characteristic tint that we become so accustomed to in our little niche. Uh, discolored water from accumulated nitrogenous waste brought about by overcrowding, overfeeding, or poor water quality management is a totally different thing than tinted water from botanical influences. And that's just fine with us, but we need to separate that myth from fact. Color in general is not a truly reliable, highly accurate indicator of water quality, pH, or hardness. You can easily have very high water quality, i.e., you know, low nitrates, phosphates, or other you know, nitrogenous substances and still have a tint to it. In fact, water can be of a very high quality and have almost a patina of finely dissolved materials in it and still test at high water quality levels. Just the same, you could have a crystal clear aquarium with high ammonia levels. I mean, in our type of aquarium, especially the color is really no indication of the quality of the water. You know, water exchanges, use of chemical filtration media and good old common sense will see to it that the water quality is high. Another prevailing myth is that you know, black water or botanical style aquariums are really difficult to control and you risk a pH crash and wildly fluctuating environmental conditions just by operating one of these. Now, the fact is that this is one of those aquarium hobby myths, which has really taken hold among many, many people. Now, some of this might have a grain of truth to it, but it's really an example of an overgeneralized assumption. Simply adding botanical materials to a closed aquarium environment is adding to the bio load of a you know, of the system and can certainly have an impact on the water quality if you don't go slowly, observe carefully, and execute standard aquarium husbandry procedures, you know, water exchanges, use of chemical filtration media, proper stocking, proper feeding, etc., etc. The reality, especially in regards to pH, is that the impact of botanicals on pH is often surprisingly limited in terms of lowering it. Two of the most important factors are the carbonate hardness of the water and the starting pH. If you have a hard alkaline tap water and you're not doing other things to modify it, like using reverse osmosis or deionization, you'll likely notice minimal, if any, impact on the pH. On the other hand, if you're using water with little or no carbonate hardness and lower starting pH, these materials can have more significant impact and you, you can manipulate the pH by utilizing these materials. But the idea of a crash is something that has multiple factors in involved, including, and there's no way, no way to state it, human error. When you add botanicals to your aquarium, materials which can impact the water quality and chemistry, it's up to you to go slowly, adding these materials in a measured manner and to test your basic water parameters, pH, alkalinity, nitrite, nitrate, etc., as you begin the process and regularly as you work through them. There's simply no excuse for not doing this. You are deliberately manipulating the environment of the aquarium. And when I hear people saying, I did, you know, I did this before and you know, I added a bunch of alder cones to my water and my, my, my tank crashed, or you hear these kind of things on general discussion forums. And fortunately, most of these people aren't our customers who hopefully by now have hammered this stuff into your head, but they'll, they'll perpetuate these myths and people will say, yeah, you added a bunch of stuff to the aquarium and they can drop the pH and the impact the water quality. Well, no duh, of course it can. The point is, as with any aquarium, when you're adding stuff, there's an impact. Botanical style aquariums are simply not set and forget systems. You can't just dump and pray and expect, you know, expect to have stable, predictable results from adding you know, botanicals and leaves to your aquariums. They're dynamic, actively managed systems. They require the same traditional management techniques that are applied to any successful aquarium. 
In particular, success requires a lot of observation, diligence, discipline, and above all, patience. Common sense. Another myth that we see, and it's, fortunately we're seeing a lot less of this now, but another myth that floats around out there is you can't grow plants in a blackwater aquarium. Now, the reality is that there are many blackwater habitats are devoid of aquatic plants or somewhat limited. But the fact is there are many species which can be grown under appropriate conditions, and they're found that way in nature. Species like Cryptocarine, Bucephalandra, Polygonum, Didiplitus, Mayaka, uh, Isoetes, Acarnia, Nymphiotes, and many, many, many more that I can't name or pronounce correctly. There's a lot of plants out there that grow in blackwater conditions that are indeed found in blackwater conditions in nature. It's up to us to do the research, and it's not just you're not just going to find it on planted aquarium forums and, and hobby, you know, uh, facing material, you're going to have to get in there, do some research online and do some scientific studies and surveys of wild blackwater habitats. And you'll find a surprisingly large amount of useful information. Yeah, it's not as easy to read as the guy on you know Facebook, but it's a heck of a lot more informative and a lot more factual. It's far more out there than most of you will realize. Again, I'm kind of encouraging you to encourage others if you haven't done so. And I think a lot of you have to check out those scientific papers. There's a lot of really great reading. Just Google it. It's really not that hard. There's no excuse. when. That's why when people say, well, what do I need to do to start a Blackwater Aquarium? I'm like, really? We have 500 articles here alone. And then you can listen to the podcast. And you can go out and Google Blackwater Aquarium or Blackwater Natural Habitats or blah, blah, blah. You can do so much to learn it. There's no excuse for people not being educated before they jump into this stuff right now. Now, again, getting back to the, the, the Blackwater Aquarium with plants... The limiting factors are not surprising. The ability of light to penetrate the water column and the availability of nutrients for plants to utilize for growth. These are things that we can absolutely overcome, right? And these are things that are known and studied in the wild habitats. The soil might be rich, but the water column is largely devoid of uh, large amounts of nutrients in some of these black water systems, or rather what we call impoverished. So it's important to understand why you don't find plants in every, you know, lush you know, plants in every single blackwater habitat around the world. But there are many that do because there's some very lush growth in uh, rich soils and in certain niche uh, habitats. So sure. But to overcome this in the aquarium, well, you'd utilize more intense light to overcome the tinted water. I mean, that's a given. And with the proper application of nutrients or soil uh, enhanced uh, uh, additives, you know, appropriately rich substrate, you'd be surprised how easily you can grow aquatic plants in these types of aquariums. In fact, you can grow algae easily. I've experienced this myself because you have a lot of nutrient in the water, more so than you might find in the wild. They're not impoverished in our aquariums as much as they are. These are wild uh, habitats that are impoverished. Uh, I've put a little too much light and not enough plants before and um, seen algae grow in, in a, in a, even in a black water aquarium. So you got to gotta be careful. Use some common sense. Um, you know, this is an area that we simply need to do the research as opposed to accepting the more popular and frankly wrong popular perception that you can't grow plants. So hopefully I've banged that into your head enough and I'm not going to beat the shit out of you anymore. Information's out there. I'm looking at a planted blackwater aquarium in my office right now. Uh, it's super easy and attainable. Um, now, another myth and this kind of ties into one that we talked about before, is as botanical materials decompose in the aquarium, they degrade the water quality. Well, again, it's a popularly embraced idea, which I can't entirely brush off because there's some validity to it, and it would be totally irresponsible of me to just dismiss this outright. But this sort of goes hand in hand with what we talked about before, right? I mean, 
when you have materials of any type breaking down in the aquarium, they're part of the bio load. And that requires an appropriately sized population of beneficial bacteria and fungi and other microorganisms to break down these materials without, you know, adversely affecting the water quality. We've written about this idea many, many, many times in the tent and talked about it in our podcast. Uh, we've talked about the ecosystem aspect of working with this type of aquarium quite a bit. In addition to husbandry and, and planning, part of the game is accepting, indeed encouraging, the idea of having these little natural partners in maintaining a healthy aquarium. Now, that being said, again, it would be utterly irresponsible of us to say that you could simply add stuff to an aquarium, specifically, you know, one that's been stable for a long period of time and not be concerned about any impact on water quality. You can't just toss stuff in. That's part of the reason why we repeatedly plead with you to go slowly when adding these materials to the established tank and to test and gauge the impact of them on your water quality as you go. It's not, this is not rocket science. It's not some highfalutin thing. It's just common sense, common sense aquarium husbandry. Going slowly not only allows you time to react, it gives your bacterial and fungal populations the opportunity to grow and adjust to the increasing bioload. You know, these organisms really can go a long way towards creating a very stable, healthy botanical aquarium environment, but they can't work miracles and they can't do it alone. They're your partners. And of course, common sense husbandry procedures, once again, you know, regular water exchanges, chemical filtration media, all those things give you an added layer of insurance. A healthy dose of common sense and judgment goes just a long, long way towards a successful outcome. It's really important. Another pervasive myth that I see quite often is that catapa leaves can cure fish diseases. We've talked about this a gajillion times. I'll just touch on it one more time because for some reason the catapa leaf is like the vector for botanical aquarium nonsense. Uh, although there is some validity to it, I admit. Uh, I say some because we in the hobby and industry tend to selectively cherry pick stuff we like from science and run with that. And we often overlook some of the more sobering realities in favor of that sizzle, you know. It's been known for many years by science that botanicals like catopolis have compounds in their tissues which do have some potential medicinal functions like saponins, phytosterols, uh, punagallogens, etc. All these fancy names that sound really cool. And these compounds that are found in botanicals and, and catopolis particularly often bounced around on the hobby sites as this magic elixir for a variety of fish ailments and maladies. And that's where the danger of regurgitation sneaks back in. Again, I can't entirely beat the crap out of this idea that catopolis have some health benefits for fishes as these compounds are known to provide certain health benefits. Oh, in humans. <laughs> and for a long time, it was anecdotally assumed that they did the same for fishes. Now, sure, humans aren't fishes, as we all know. Yet, believe it or not, there actually have been some studies uh, that show benefits to fishes imparted by substances in catapa and other leaves. I stumbled across a university study in Thailand with tilapia not, not too long ago that concluded that catapa extract was useful for eradicating uh, trichodonia, the, a nasty exoparasite, and found that the growth of a couple strains of uh, Aeromonas bacteria was also uh, inhibited by dosing catapa leaf extract uh, in, a, in a small dosage of, uh, of like, I think it was 0.5 milligrams per liter and up. Uh, and it was shown to reduce the fungal infection in tilapia eggs. So there's some definite interest in, there, in, in the field of uh, uh, fish health that this may apply to. And it's not widely accepted by science that humic substances like those present in catapolis and a lot of other botanical materials are thought to have a wide range of health benefits for fishes in all types of habitats. We've covered this before and we had that really great guest blog by Vince Dollar, which talked about humic substances that sort of launched the whole 
hey, there's more to it than just the pretty look idea that we have going here. Again, although they are not cure-alls, like many vendors touted them as, leaves and other botanicals do possess a wide range of substances which can significantly benefit and uh, impact fish health. Which ones, how much, what the dosage are, we just don't know all those answers yet. These claims are not entirely erroneous. However, it's important not to make overinflated assumptions about catapa leaves and other leaves and assume that they're miraculous things that we could add to our tanks to achieve smashing success at curing sick fishes. That it doesn't happen. Rather, I think that as catapolis and other botanical materials break down in aquariums, they impart some of these beneficial compounds into the water, and maybe that fosters a more healthy environment for fishes which are accustomed to black water conditions. Perhaps they form an, uh, perform an almost prophylactic kind of a role at preventing fish disease and supporting overall fish health, as opposed to functioning as some sort of cure-all. Again, there's so much more to learn about this topic. So, that's a little little summary of some of the most pervasive myths we see in the hobby. And I think pushing back against some of these long-held myths about botanical style aquariums will hopefully encourage the uninitiated to give this whole twigs and nuts thing some due consideration. Um, We, as lovers of this type of uh, aquarium, need to do our best to share the realities of all sorts that we understand from personal experience and to encourage others to give them a shot. I can't help but reiterate once again that Blackwater botanical style aquariums are no more difficult to set up and maintain than any other type of aquarium. They do require an understanding of what's going on and what's involved, and they require some observation and upkeep. And if you're not careful about following good common sense procedures, you can absolutely have a bad outcome. Shit happens, and it's not always good. That's part of the game. It's part of the reality of forging into new territory, but it contributes to the body of knowledge and that's the aquarium hobby. And if you're not up for that, and you don't want to do the work, and you don't want to maintain the system, I get it. There's nothing wrong with that, but just don't do this. The key takeaway here, you know, here is not to simply blindly accept everything you read and hear about this type of aquarium, even in my podcast or our blog, without giving it a more detailed look yourself. Do consideration and even consulting with others, those of us who have experience with this stuff. A healthy dose of open-mindedness coupled with some knowledge and, yeah, skepticism collectively can go a long way towards success with botanical-style aquariums of all types. Obviously, I can't cover every detail about every misunderstood aspect of the botanical style aquarium in the scope of a a podcast or a blog piece. There's just too much of it out there. What we can do is give you a little clarification, occasionally nudge uh, nudge in the right direction. And those of you who visit our website frequently or listen to this podcast know that we literally have hundreds of articles on every type of arcane aspect of these aquariums, many of which comprise a sort of living document that's evolved over time and demonstrate the the true evolution of the practices uh, that we use and the experiences that we've accumulated in this hobby niche. I think it's really exciting. Uh, I do not like to tout my own horn too much, but occasionally I like to because I really, really, really am seeing a lot of utter garbage being pushed out there daily by people that maybe they're well-meaning, but it's just just a bunch of crap and or people acting like, you know, they're the expert on something and they're giving information that's so shallow so vague and so potentially damaging that it's not more harmful than helpful. Again, I'm not saying don't listen to everybody, only listen to me. That's absolutely not what I'm trying to say here. What I am trying to say is that consider the source, um, you know, question, question me. I get questions all the time. I get pushed back all the time. Look, a lot of the stuff I put out here, if I'm not certain about something, I'll tell you it. 
Uh, if I think something is sketchy, I'll tell you that. I've always been that way with you. We've actually, you know, changed our own tune on some things like we were talking about botanical preparation over the years. Um, you know, I've sort of come around a little bit to accepting some of these things. Uh, now I know my sources a little better. I know the preparation that's gone into some of the botanicals. I'm not as hardcore about some of the uh, preparation processes uh, on every type of uh, item. Uh, and you'll see that in, you know, coming weeks and months. We'll talk more about that. But I think the important thing is to just know that we're all contributing to the state of the art of the botanical style aquarium. And each and every day this changes. And we do this by cutting through the clutter of misinformation and instead offering up facts based on the collective personal experience of you and the members of our community. And that's a really exciting thing and a really exciting time. What I love about the ground floor aspect of the Botanical Style Aquarium, even though we're five years into it here at Tannen and I'm decades into it in my personal experience, I learn something new almost every day and I see something new almost every day. And it angers me when I see people just accepting even stuff that I say without questioning it. You have to question, you have to explore and use a little bit of common sense. I think you're going to enjoy the journey that much more. So stay diligent, stay inquisitive, stay brave, stay open-minded, stay curious, stay observant, stay patient, and above all, stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman talking a little long-winded today. Thanks very much for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.